Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. We're going to go back to the beginning today. All right. Uh, It is, as you've heard me say, oftentimes you don't just hit a subject once and like it's said and done, you never talk about it again. But I want to talk about again some of just, I want to talk about how, about getting your birth certificate in the church. All right. I want to talk about those, those elements of, of repentance and baptism and Holy Ghost and filling with just concentrating on repentance today. Uh, because these things are absolutely essential. They are, some years ago, the preachers used to say, you know, it's whenever you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and you repent, you've been baptized in Jesus' name. It's not like the said and done, it's the last chapter of the book. Really, it's the first chapter of the book. It is your birth certificate. There's living for the Lord after that point in time. Uh, We, of course, Ephesians uh, tells us that we're not saved by works, but it does say that we are the workmanship of God created unto works. And so after we get that Holy Ghost experience, it's time to work. It's time to uh, go through our life and, and try to live in such a way that is pleasing unto the Lord and right unto the Lord. So, uh, our repentance and baptism, all that, that's just the beginning. That, that is not our finish. That is just the beginning. But we do need to begin. And I understand this morning, I know I have you standing. I understand today uh, we could really start a little earlier than repentance. We could talk about faith, right? Because the writer of Hebrews says that he that cometh to God must have faith that he is and that then he is a rewarder of him that diligently seek him. So you got to believe in God. You have to have faith in God. But I want to talk a little bit about uh, the message that Peter spoke to those that were there on the day of Pentecost. And I want to read some uh, verses of scripture of Acts 2, 37 and 38 that to many people they're, they're probably familiar with. Uh, but just because we are familiar, don't want to grow old to it. Verse 37, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And what they heard was a message that Peter had preached to them. Okay. And for me, it goes to show this is one of the tremendous facets of the word of God. When people's hearts are open to the word of God, it can prick a heart of an individual and generate questions about what do I need to do now? All right. And so when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So this morning I'm just talking about the salvation plan. And my focal point is on repentance today. Amen. And help me pray here today. Father, I pray, Lord, let this, Lord, familiar passage and these old scriptures, God, become alive once again, Lord, in our hearts and lives. God, and perhaps somebody that is sitting here today, God, that may be entertaining questions in their mind about, Lord, an experience with God or a walk with God. I pray, Jesus, you have to speak to them today. God, minister, Lord, to them and help us all, Lord, to glean one more time and refresh ourselves. God, with the power, Lord, of your spirit, we'll not forget to thank you for in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that we pray in the church say amen amen you may be seated this morning let's see how far we can get here today uh, being that it is a topic that many are familiar with and I am for sure uh, I could probably talk about repentance for a while amen and so I uh, want to talk about it today but to give a little bit of the setting of Acts chapter number two this is the day of Pentecost and it is one of the feasts of the Jewish people. 
one of the major feasts. There were three major feasts, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. And 50 days past Passover was the day of Pentecost. And as the settings typically was then, you had Jews that were coming in uh, from all different places. And on Pentecost, not just Jews, but uh, a lot of different people, different nationalities and races would convene at Jerusalem for this festival and this feast. So you have a lot of people that are represented. And while everyone is there that day, there had been a group of about 120 people in what was called an upper room. And they had been praying uh, they had been directed by Christ before he ascended to heaven that they would go to Jerusalem until they'd be endued with power from on high. And so they had been praying there waiting for this endowment of power. And that did come, the spirit of the Lord. Uh, the Bible says suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and it sat upon each one of them. And the scripture goes on to say that they began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave them the utterance. And what happened in the upper room didn't stay contained to the upper room, but that was noised abroad, the scripture says. And so you have all these people, Jerusalem uh, increased in population uh, four or five times its regular population during the day of time of Pentecost, the feast of Pentecost. So you have all these people in Jerusalem. What happens in the upper room is noised abroad. Some are marveling of what they've heard. Others are mockers of what they've heard. Uh, some even say concerning what happened to the 120 question, uh, are, are these people drunk? And Peter told them that they're not drunk being the third hour of the day. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. That's not a typical time for uh, this culture of, of getting heavy with any type of drink. And he began to explain to them and preach to them really the message, the gospel of Christ. And he began to tell them the story of Christ. They knew Jesus Christ. These people, a lot of them had been touched by him, healed by him, uh, some raised from the dead by him. And so there was a lot of stir about the, the Jesus and the life and time of Jesus. But he began to talk to them and they come to recognition that this Jesus that they, many of them seen just as a carpenter's son, just as Joseph and Mary's son, just as another individual, they come to realize that this Jesus that Peter was preaching to them about was their Messiah that they were looking for. All of their old prophets in the Old Testament had spoken of a Messiah. These Jews had been looking forward into a Messiah, but when Jesus came, they did not see their Messiah in Jesus Christ. They didn't recognize him for who he was. But through the preaching of the apostle Peter, they had that aha moment to understand that this Jesus that walked among them was their Messiah. And when they understood that, they then realized that several of them had rallied around this same Jesus who now they realize was their Messiah and they had said crucify that man. And so they are being, they're starting to feel the guilt and the shame of having crucified the very one they, what they were looking for. And so now that they realize that they were partakers in that, that they had a hand in that, they're looking back to Peter because they feel the guilt, they feel the shame, they see what they have done wrong. And they're asking him basically with the question of verse 37, what can we do? I mean, we already hung him on a tree. They already, you know, he was placed in the tomb. Yeah, it's empty now, but you know, what, what can we do to make amends for what we have done? And so it's with that that Peter gives the response. The sermon happens in the bulk of Acts 2, and really Acts 2, 38 is the response to their question. And so he gives them the response. This is what you must do in order to remedy what you have done. This is what you do now to take care of the guilt and the shame over what you have done. He says, firstly, you need to repent. And then you need to be baptized in Jesus' name. And then you shall be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. He gave them a plan to follow to remedy their lives of what they have done. This parallels very simply, folks, our lives as well. Because we have somewhere along the journey of our life aha moments that maybe the life that I live prior to this point till now, there have been some things that I have done that are 
in opposition to the Lord, to the Savior, to the one that created all things. There are some things that I have done uh, that, that wouldn't look kindly upon the Lord. And our question then maybe today is what can I do? What can I do to remedy those things? What can I do to make these things right and to make these things well? Is there anything? And the plan of salvation, the, the, the answer for those on the day of Pentecost is still the answer for us today. And we'll probably look at this a little bit more because the fact of the matter is each one of us needs this same plan. Each one of us needs this same experience uh, because whether we realize it or not, we all have done something. The psalmist said in the Psalms, he said that he was shapen in iniquity and in sin did his mother conceive him. And so our entrance into this world is littered with sin. We are born as sinners. Ever since the transgression of Adam and Eve in the garden, uh, mankind has been born as a sinner into a world of sin. And so we have this sin dilemma. Uh, in Romans 8, the Bible tells us of how the wages or the payment of sin is death. All right? And so we need to somehow make amends for this sin. We, we are participants in what takes place. Through our obedience to the plan of God, through our be obedience to that, we are participants in this plan. That's not works, all right? That's not salvation by works because you could repent, quote unquote, all day long. And had not Christ went to the cross and died, that repentance from your lips would get you nowhere. So it's not works because although I verbalize some things with my mouth, it's because of what he did that makes that even effective whenever I say anything. Same with my baptism, same with my infilling of the Holy Ghost. Had it not been for Christ's death on the cross, burial on the ground, and getting up the third day, then the plan of salvation has no impact or effect in our life. And so it's not really my works. It's just my obedience to the works he did. Amen? And so when we talk about this, we want to talk about repentance, this first step in the salvation plan. Uh, years ago, I read a little story about a Sunday school teacher asked the class uh, what the word repentance meant. It could have very well happened here. I don't. But they, our teachers have their own stories. Uh, but what repentance meant, and the little boy put up his hand and said, it's being sorry for your sins. The teacher says, well, that's good, little Johnny. That's great. And then a little girl raised her hand. She said, it's being sorry enough even to quit. Well, that kind of takes things a little step further. Because sometimes, and we still do this sometimes, Today, even as adults or even as mature Christians, sometimes we equate repentance just with being sorry. Just with being sorry. You know, we sometimes equate repentance with just apologizing to God. And, and if they're tears, then they're really sorry. You know, then if there's tears involved, then they're really sorry. There's some type of sorrow going on to some degree. But the reality is true repentance is not necessarily any of those things. Those things may accompany repentance. But repentance isn't necessarily any of those things. And tears are not necessarily indicators that you've repented. I've seen some people cry tears because they got caught. Not because they were sincerely sorry or had a different mindset about what they did. See, really what's happening in the book of Acts when they ask what must we do, they're already having some reconsideration over what they had done. See, repentance, and we'll get to it here in a little bit. Repentance is this. Biblically, by word definition, even in the Greek language and otherwise, repentance is to think differently. To think afterwards, or the best way I could explain it, is to have an afterthought. You ever did something and kind of had an afterthought about what you did? It's really an afterthought or a second thought. And when you have an afterthought or a second thought, you are questioning the first thought. So see, in our lives, we are born to sin and we do sin as sinners. And when we come to a place of repentance, we have an afterthought about how we lived until this point in time. We have a second thought about how we live to this point in time. And then there is a shift of our thinking. 
And the fact of the matter is this, you know this, before you say something, it ran through your mind. Before you did something, it runs through your mind. I know it seems very involuntary. I raised my hand like that, but the thought went through my mind. It might've been an instant of a second before I raised my hand. The awesome thing about repentance, when thinking starts to change, guess what follows up? Behavior changes. When thinking changes, actions and behavior changes. And so in reality, repentance is a change of mind. It's a change of mind of how we think. Many times in the New Testament, uh, it is a regret, no doubt, for sins that result in a person's change of their mind that influences them, their change of conduct. So this is important because, listen to me, repentance isn't just regret for sins. It's, not, it's like the little girl said, it's not just feeling bad over what was done, but feeling bad enough that you quit doing. All right? Feeling bad enough that you quit doing. And so Peter has finished his preaching, which was a masterful sermon. I, I, I advise you to read Acts 2 about the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so when he again brought this revelation to the people and they had that aha moment that this Christ Jesus was the Messiah that was prophesied about, that they were looking for, uh, they had that, 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 gut-wrenching realization that they had crucified their Messiah. And so Peter was very good in helping them identify that they had been participants in that. They had a hand in that. And in reality, guess what? We all had a hand in it. You say, Brother McGee, I wasn't living then. I wasn't alive then. It doesn't matter. You had a hand in that. Because why in reality did Christ go to the tree to begin with? In the New Testament, the epistle says he took the handwritings of the ordinances that were against you and I and he nailed them to the tree. That he bore our sin in his own body and he took it to a tree. Because according to the scriptures, sin has to be dealt with. Sin has to be dealt with. I couldn't deal with sin because I'm imperfect. I'm imperfect Paul. I couldn't deal with sin. But God manifesting himself in the flesh as Jesus Christ was the perfect man, had perfect blood, which Hebrew says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or removal of sin. So blood had to be shed, but it couldn't be from a tainted individual like me. It had to come from a perfect man like Christ Jesus who John said was the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, he went to the tree for the purpose of the remission of sin. Who all in this church was born a sinner? Every single one of us. So we all, in, to some degree, had a hand in what took place on Calvary, whether we were alive then or not, because we are sinners. We are sinners. And so whenever they identified that they were participants in, in the crucifix, they are faced with the fact uh, that they crucified the Messiah, so to speak, and God had raised him up. And so when they realized what they had done, that they were responsible, boom. Again, the question is prompted, and you can tell already they're starting to think differently about what they had done, about what their actions were. They had an afterthought. They had a second thought. We know what we have done. Now, Peter, we need to know what can we do. What can we do to remedy that? And that is the start and the birth of repentance. They already experienced regret. Yes, their, their feelings, their hearts probably fell to their ankles when they realized we're looking for the Messiah. We killed our Messiah. Their hearts probably fell to their ankles. But they posed the question now, amen, what can we do? Do. Amen. They're that repentance. They're, they want to quit. They don't want to act like that, like that, you know, anymore. They, they don't want to do those type of same things anymore. And so Peter admonishes them to repent because, again, it's more than just regret. It's a change of mind which ultimately affects how we behave. True repentance will impact how you behave. Amen. 2 Corinthians 7, we have several scriptures today, and uh, I'm already 
deep into 15 minutes here. 2 Corinthians chapter number 7 and verse number 9. The apostle Paul speaking to the church at Corinth says, Now I rejoice, not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. Verse 10, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world work of death. And so Paul is, is explaining here that there are a couple different types of sorrow. There is a godly sorrow, and if I may, there's a sorrow of the world, or if I could call it a worldly sorrow. There's a, there's a godly sorrow, and there is a worldly sorrow. He says there is a godly sorrow that worketh and tendeth toward repentance, a change of mind, having an afterthought and a second thought. And so the Apostle Paul, as he writes this letter, he tells them, he says, I realize that I, I've made you sorry with my first letter. This is 2 Corinthians. He's already written 1 Corinthians to them. And these are letters to the church at Corinth. So he already wrote the first letter. And he says, I realize I made you sorry with my first letter. Uh, you can even see that like in verse number 8. So the first letter had been written, 1 Corinthians had been written because there were some problems that were going on. And uh, he addressed some of those problems. There were contentions among them. There was fornication that was taking place. A lot of different problems that the Apostle Paul addressed. And so he addressed them and the people started feeling sorry, all right, about what they had been doing. And so all Paul is admitting to uh, by saying, I do not repent, though I did repent, is that he reconsidered what he said in the letter. And the word repent here literally means I, 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 I cared afterwards. He mulled it over in his mind. He had an afterthought. He had a second thought. But as it stands, he says, I do not regret having written it to you. Because what? It's going to prick your heart and mind as well. It's making you think about what you have done as well. And so look now, Paul's rejoicing here in the scripture. It's not because they felt sorry. He's not rejoicing because they felt sorry. He's not rejoicing because they felt guilty or shame. But he's rejoicing because his letter caused them to have a second thought about what they had been doing. The contention, the fornication. They had an afterthought about what they had been doing, their actions. And so he was glad, he was glad that their regret materialized into a change of mind about what they had been doing and ultimately then a change of behavior. So what he had said, it stirred something up in them to make them want to think differently and then behave differently. Regret, sorrow, and shame. So I'm not rejoicing over that, but that brought you to a place of a change of mind. Amen? And so the, the, overall, the overall sum total of everything is in a positive direction. This is good. And he says being sorry or experiencing sorrow, notice now, being sorry or experiencing sorrow is not the same as repentance. Paul distinguishes the two here in 2 Corinthians. He says, ye were, made sorry, you were, ye were made sorry, but for you, the good thing about this godly sorrow is that you sorrowed to repentance. It brought you to a place to have a change of mind. It brought you to a place to have a second thought or afterthought about your behavior. Amen. In the Old Testament, we see this as well. In, in the Old Testament, in the book of Ruth, just a small uh, little narrative on the book of Ruth there. Uh, she has two daughters-in-laws, uh, Orpha and she has, uh, or rather, Orpha and Ruth are daughter-in-laws to Naomi. And they begin to lift up their voice because their mother-in-law, Naomi, was leaving the land of Moab where Ruth and Orpha lived. And she was going back to Bethlehem, Judah, and Ruth and Orpha had lost both of their husbands, which, of course, was Naomi's sons. They had lost their husbands, so they really didn't have anything left in Moab except for their extended families there. And they lifted up their eyes, their eyes and their voices. And the Bible says as their mother-in-law, Naomi, was going back to Bethlehem, both Ruth and, Ruth and Orpha were weeping, all right, and crying and, and hugging their mother-in-law. So they're crying, right? Voices up in the air. 
the Bible says that Orpha, tears just like Ruth, kissed her mother-in-law and went back to her family to be with her family, serve her gods, little G-O-D-S's, her idols, went back with that. But Ruth also did that, but she went with her mother-in-law and said, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. She left her, she left her little G-O-D-S's, all right, to go serve the God in Bethlehem, Judea. If tears and sorrow was all there was to repentance, then we would have said Orpha and Ruth had major changes in their life in that moment. But that was not the case. They both shed tears, yes. But one had a change of mind about where she had been living and said, your God's going to be my God. That was sorrow unto repentance. Having a change of mind or an afterthought of how life had been lived up to that moment. And so what Paul said what Paul said to the church at Corinth, again, he didn't say to injure them, and it didn't injure them. In, in, in reality, it benefited them. Sure, sure they felt conviction. And we had one of our uh, little questions on our Connect group this last Wednesday about what's the difference between conviction and condemnation and what's the proper response to conviction. And so, sure they felt conviction, all right, about what they had done crucifying the Lord, participate in that. But ultimately, who they had done it to, right? The one that they realized now was their Messiah. And so they are sorry after a godly sort. They are sorry after a godly manner. And this happens, listen, this happens when you realize your actions, though on the surface may have been against a man, are really in discord with God. Huh? Because there's a lot of things we do toward people. All right? For them, this was in discord against God. And might I say, there's things that we do against people some, well, it's probably most of the time that is in discord against God because we could take another little segue here and talk about how all mankind is made in the image and the likeness of God, regardless color, race, ethnicity. Someone say amen. David, even in his life, right? We, we look at the highs and lows, successes and failures of David. Probably the big rock of failure in David's life, most would probably agree that we know about, is his sin with Bathsheba of adultery. That took place, right? Taking another man's wife, going into her, having a child. And so Psalms 51 records the story of David's afterthought, his second thought. It took somebody instrumental. It took the prophet Nathan uh, com- concocting a little story to David and finally telling David, you are the man. And and David realizes, yeah, I need to repent of my sin because David hadn't repented. But in Psalms 51, David has a light bulb moment that he shares with us. Look at verses three and four. David says, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Look at verse four. This is important. David says, against thee. Who is David speaking to in Psalms 51? Who's the thee? He says against thee. David's talking to God in Psalms 51. He's saying against thee, God, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. And he's referencing his failure with Bathsheba. That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Now, we would look at just the surface of things concerning the story of David and Bathsheba, we'd say, man, number one, he sinned against Uriah, which was Bathsheba's husband, because he took her his wife. And not only that, he had somebody go out and make sure Uriah was in the hottest part of the battle so that he would for sure be killed in battle. He arranged all of that. No doubt he's done something wrong against Uriah. And he's done something against Bathsheba, I know it takes two to tango, but he was forward enough to have a servant go ask for her to come over to the palace. So he sinned against Bathsheba in the bed of adultery. But notice David's prayer here. He says he's sorry here. Look, evidently after a godly sorrow, a godly sort, because he's having an afterthought about what he did, all right? And he notices this. 
the, the, the adultery, the having Uriah killed, all of this. He says, God, I've sinned against you. And it's important to come to a place in our walk as sinners in this life to realize living the lives that we do without God are sins against God. We got to come to the realization that these things, the lies that we live without him is against him. And I bet you say, Brother McGee, I'm a good person. But a good person isn't a heaven bound person unless they're a saved by the salvation plan person. Cornelius, right? In Acts 10, prayed. Gave devotions to God. God even said, Cornelius, your prayers that came up before me as a memorial. He's a good man. But goodness wouldn't get him to heaven. He had to be born again of the water and the spirit. There had to be a place of repentance for Cornelius. And we read before the stories out like in 10, 42, 48. That as, as Peter began to speak the words that the Holy Ghost came and fell on them and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance and those that had received that experience heard the Gentiles. That's who Cornelius was, a good Gentile man, speaking tongues. And after that was done, the apostle, amen, told him that he commanded him to be baptized for the washing away of his sins. So what I'm telling you this morning is this. We need to come to an aha moment in our living experience that the lives that we live without God is actually sin against God and we need an afterthought. We need a second thought about what can we do to change that? What, what can we do? Amen. He's provided the plan and my doing is basically obedience to the plan he's provided. Obedience to the plan that he's provided. Amen. And so David evidently was sorry after a godly sorrow because it brought him to a place of repentance. See, the sorrow then that, that Paul speaks of in 2 Corinthians, the sorrow of the world is on a different kind because the sorrow of the world is this. It's a sorrow for the feeling of the guilt and shame that we have. Oh, the guilt, the shame, the sorrow. It's a sorrow... If I, and I'm not being crude. It's a sorrow for getting caught and having to deal with the feelings. See, some people just don't like to deal with the feelings of guilt. They're more troubled about feeling bad than they are about being right. All right? And so what their sorrow really is over is wanting to get through feeling the way they're feeling. Many times, let me stop feeling the way I'm feeling and still be able to do what I continue to do. That, that's a worldly sorrow. That doesn't lead you to a second thought over what you've done or afterthought about what you've done. That's just about let me get rid of these feelings so I can keep doing what I'm doing. Okay? William Barclay said it like this. He said, many a man is desperately sorry because of the mess that sin has got him into. But he very well knows that if he could be reasonably sure that he could escape the consequences of his sin, he would do the same thing again. If it's not the sin that he hates, then it's the consequences. Repentance, now, listen, this isn't just a New Testament idea. It's not like, oh, wow, they just kind of come up with this, like, you know, in Acts. No, or the Gospels. It's not just a New Testament idea. Repentance can be found even in the Old Testament as well. Because repentance isn't only about turning from, from the bad or the sin to the good, although in many ways it's typically viewed as that, but it may very well be just a turn from good to bad as well. Repentance, in essence, is a turn. It is a turn. A one, uh, if you were in the military, it would be the 180 degree. It would be an about face. It is a turn. All right. When you read when you read in Proverbs and it's twenty six eleven and it's the same word that's used 
where the, where the proverb is referred to in the book of Hebrews. When you read that a dog, you know, some of you know the scripture, a dog returneth to his vomit and a sow returneth to wallow in the mire. That word returneth is used for the word in the, in the, in the Greek or in the Hebrew both is the same word for repent. It's the turning. It's the about face of going from one thing, turning your back on it, going to something else. Whether it's good or bad, bad or good. It's the turning about that repentance. So in the Old Testament, repentance carries this idea of turning back or turning away. It meant to retreat. It meant to retreat. It was similar, again, to the military term about face. A change of direction. Huh? A change of direction. And so oftentimes in the Old Testament, the word repent may not be used in our English Bibles, but the words of turning or returning may be used in place of repentance. So when you read your English Bible, it might not be repentance that you're reading. You might be reading and they turned or they returned or they turned away. Same word, though, for repentance. It's turning away or back. For instance, Hosea chapter number 14, uh, one of the minor prophets, Hosea 14 and verses 1 and 2. The prophet says, O Israel, speaking to the whole nation of Israel, return, case in point, return unto the Lord. You know what he's asking them to do? Repent. Return unto the Lord, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. Take with you words. That's good. Take with you words and turn to the Lord. Huh? Is everybody okay? Repentance is more than just sitting at the altar of tears falling down your face and just clenched mouth. Take words. Take words with you as you turn to the Lord and saying to him, take away all iniquity. This is a good prayer of repentance that would accompany a change of mind and an afterthought. Of what you've done. Take away all my iniquity. And receive me Lord graciously. Right? Because he don't owe it to me. It's not like anything I've done that would say. Okay. Right? No. So he will render the calves of our lips. Which is basically the praise of our lips. So it's the return uh, uh, terminology. Look at Malachi 3.7. We'll see it here again. Even from the days of your fathers, ye are gone away from mine ordinances, says the prophet Malachi, and have not kept them. What's he say? He says, return unto me. You know what that is? Repent. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, wherein shall we return? They want to know. Point it out. Scholars conclude throughout the scriptures that there are a total of 164 uses of repent as turning in some type of covenant relationship with the Lord, that turning or returning taking place, meaning men are turning to or turning away from God in a relationship with God. And the majority of these verses are found among the Old Testament prophets, about 113 of them. And so Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah leads the way. About 48 times he's using that turn and turning about uh, uh, terminology. And as a matter of fact, and we know Jeremiah, he was a prophet. He was sent to a people that even didn't want to listen to him. He's known as the weeping prophet. Because he's, God said, this is what I want you to say. And nobody really listened to him. But he said, you still got to say it. And so he's there. He's constant, a herald of warning. And he's pleading with the people, turn. Turn back to God. Amend your ways. These are the things that we hear in the book of Jeremiah. Amend your ways. He gives them detailed information on how to change their ways. He gives them detailed information about how to go about step by step to do this. And they refuse. <laughs> and Jeremiah summarizes them the essence of repentance in one verse. Look at it with me. Jeremiah 18, 11. And we'll see. I, I got to keep track of time. Wow, this has been really fun here today. Whew. Well, what might be repentance part two when I... Come back. I won't be here next weekend. Pray for me. We got a lot of stuff going on next weekend. We got prison going on. I got men's conference going on. I'm going to be in prison on Friday night. When I get done Friday, I'm going to travel to where I have men's conference. I'll preach twice on Saturday when it's finished. I'll go back to prison, be in prison Saturday tonight, get back up, go back to the place where I preach because I'm going to preach to their church Sunday morning. So pray for your pastor. So Jeremiah 18, 11. Now, therefore, 
Go to speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I frame evil against you and devise a device against you. Here is the summarization of the essence of repentance. And we'll get to it, maybe not all today, but he says, this is what you do. This is the what. He says, return. That's repentance. Return. Ye now. That's when you need to do it. What you need to do and when you need to do it. Everyone. That's who needs to do it. From his evil way. That's from what you need to do it about. Huh? And make your ways and your doings good. How would it need to be changed too? So Jeremiah's just giving it all. He's giving them the, the, the what, the when, the who, the from what, the to what. All here in just one simple little verse. And I know Jeremiah was speaking to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem because that's who he's addressing here. But he might as well have been speaking to all mankind in that moment as well. Amen. Because Paul even told them on Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17, he said, now he commandeth all, speaking of Christ, now he commandeth all men everywhere to repent. He said, God winked at ignorance once. God winked at ignorance once. Now, that's what it falls up to if you need the exact verse, verse 30 of, of Acts 17. Now he commended all men to repent. You know what he's saying? He's saying there's some things that we do in our life, sin even for that matter, that we are ignorant about it really being sin. That was even them on the day of Pentecost. They crucified their Messiah. Uh-oh. It's ignorant. The Bible says had they known who he was, they would not have crucified the king of glory. All right? They would not have done it. But they did it ignorantly. But you know what happens when we sin ignorantly? When we come and realize what we've done? See, the, 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 the responsibility doesn't fall upon you in your ignorance. But when you come aware about what you've done and that's against God, you're now responsible for it. And so that's the reason why he told them God winked at ignorance once. You're only ignorant about something one time until you come to the, when you come to the realization, you're no longer ignorant about that. You get it? So if God winks at ignorance once, now he commends all men that are no longer ignorant about that thing to come to repentance. And so whenever we come to church regularly, and this is just a side note, and I'll probably close here sometime. But when we come to the church and we are constantly familiar in ourselves with the word through the preacher and through the teaching, you know what we are doing through that preaching and teaching? We're removing your ignorance about stuff. We're removing your ignorance about stuff. So now when you leave the church building, you're responsible. You're responsible for what you've been taught, for what you have heard, for what you have learned. You can't stand before God something. I didn't know. I just hate it. No, he winked at that. And so there's one of the dangers of coming to the house of God. Because <laughs> now you're responsible. I don't know about you. I want to know. And we know more than what we give ourselves credence for. He gave us a conscious conscience that if it works right, it even speaks up into our lives. Don't even have to be Holy Ghost feeling. Hmm? And the conscience that he created mankind within the garden speaks up in our lives. Amen. Okay. Let's go just a little longer, just a little further. So there are no options to repentance. All right. There's no options in Luke and some of the other places, of the gospel, this is the mandate and it's, it's cut and dry. It's like no gray area. Repent, or ye shall likewise. That's his word. I mean, <laughs> there's no coloring outside of the lines there. It's pretty straightforward. The mandate is repent or perish. So there is a way, though, that God brings repentance into our lives. Again, we have questions about it on Wednesday. Conviction. Conviction is a way that God brings repentance that he probes us to try to get us to think differently about what we have done. You're not going to find the word conviction in the King James Version of the Bible. You're not going to find it. 
You're not going to find the word conviction in the King James Version of the Bible. However, there are some Greek words in the Bible that mean conviction or convict. If you will, let me share just a, a couple with you. John 16 and verse number 8. Good old Gospel of John series coming back out of the woods here. <laughs> and when he is come, the he that is speaking about coming is the Holy Ghost or the Spirit of God. When he is come, he will reprove. Guess what that reprove right there is? Conviction. Greek word for conviction. He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. This is the same word that the apostle Paul used whenever he told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter number 4 and verse number 2. He was addressing Timothy. Timothy was kind of uh, Paul's son in the gospel, so, so to speak. He tells Timothy, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. Reprove is the word. That is just as easily also, that Greek word can be translated convict. Convict or reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering dogs. Well, he said, he said, whenever you preach in the word, let that word provide conviction. And for us, we know conviction has a way then of leading somebody to a place of repentance because it's touching how they think about what they did. And so when men of God preached the word of God as, as Peter did on the day of Pentecost and as Timothy did at Jerusalem at the church there and otherwise, the spirit of God. Someone say the spirit of God. The spirit of God will convict those who hear it if they open themselves up to it and allow it. Amen? Sometimes we put our hard shells on though. We're behind the bunker wall, Right? I don't want that to affect me because then I'll have feelings I have to contend with. And we hate the feeling more than anything. No one likes to feel guilty. No one likes to feel shameful. It's like, man, I don't like dealing with that. We need to deal with it. Amen. We need to deal with it. And so repentance again, may start by them having an afterthought. A man, listen, a man will not repent until something, God's spirit notably, provokes him to think differently about the way he's lived. He will not until you start thinking differently about it. You won't repent. And it is the spirit of God that probes and prompts and convicts to try to cause that different thinking to start to arise. In Acts 11 and verse 18, and so this is again where we want to, well, you know, you repent. Yeah, you repent, but God kind of touches buttons and levers. <laughs> he does to kind of initiate that in our lives. Acts 11, verse 18, the Bible says, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. What'd you do, God? I, I hit a few buttons and, and levers in their life to stir something in their life and mind and thinking about the way they live. Second Timothy 2.25, if God, and this is just a phrase of it, if God preadventure will give them repentance through the acknowledging of the truth. So if you're, if you're just one of those, oh, you were, you, when you repent, you're working. Listen, you wouldn't even be able to repent if God didn't grant it to you. You, you wouldn't even be able to follow that route if he didn't give it to you. Huh? Listen, look at Romans 2, 4. Again, a phrase in there. Not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to. And it goes on to talk about the forbearance and long suffering. I've talked about this before. God, you say, you know, God, I've come yet. Bless God, he's probably never coming back. What that is, is God giving really the people that need to repent. He's giving them a space of repentance. He's treating them with kindness and grace. Well, I'm doing what I'm doing. God's still so gracious to me. Some people take that endorsement that what they're doing is okay when what they're doing is misunderstanding God's mercy. God's given a space of time that he's still showing kindness because he's trying to lead us to have an afterthought and a second thought about what we've been doing to repentance. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for being forbearing. Thank you, Jesus, for being long-suffering. Amen. Stand for me today. We're not near done with repentance. Amen. But this is what Peter told them is their first step in the plan of salvation. Their first step of what they must do for in competition against 
what they had done. And so this morning, if, if you're here this morning, you know, Brother McGee, just you talking about some of those things today, you know, I'm kind of feeling like maybe I need to repent. I'm starting to have a, some change, change of thoughts and some afterthoughts and second thoughts about some of the ways that I have lived life. If you are content with that, and maybe there's a little guilt and trepidation and shame coming in on you, don't push those off. That's conviction. And the Lord trying to draw you to a place of turning around from that toward him. He's trying, to, he's trying to provoke a change in a different direction for your life. So don't just try to get rid of the feelings. You know, it's kind of like whenever we have symptoms that are the result of a problem, and then you get medication just to treat the symptom, but it doesn't do anything for the problem. You're trying to get rid of the feelings. That's just a symptom of something that's deeper. You need to come this morning and say, God, get rid of my guilt. You need to get to the issue. And have a change of mind and afterthought about the issue. Amen. We're touching surface things, but God wants to go deep. He wants to bring you to a place of relationship with him. Amen. He wants to bring us out of darkness into the marvelous light. He wants to set our feet on that street called straight. The Bible says he wants to establish our goings. But we got to work. In obedience, we can't work against them. We need to work in harmony of what he wants to do in our life. Amen. We bow our heads today. Brother Mason, if you can come, we bow our heads today. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. I feel that same spirit that they felt on the day of Pentecost here. Hallelujah. If my spirit bears record with his spirit, I feel his presence here today. God is here this morning reaching out to somebody that would that's starting to have some second thoughts and afterthoughts about the way that they have lived life to this moment. They understand this morning that they were born a sinner. They understand this morning that when they were born of their parents, they were born into a world of sin. They understood this morning that that pastor up there told me that I had just as much of a hand in the crucifix of Christ as anybody else, although I didn't live in that time frame because he died for sins and I was born a sinner. And that realization today may be prodding you to a place of repentance, a change of mind that you want to give your life over to the Lord. You don't want to live your own way and do your own thing and chart your own path but you want to live a life that's pleasing unto God and you want to give yourself totally unto him and you want the blood that was shed on Calvary to touch your life and remit and remove sin in your life that you were born into if that's you today you can raise a hand or you can come to an altar of prayer or you can pray right where you are and yes you may have tears and yes there may be sorrow but ultimately are you having an afterthought about the way that you've lived to this point of time are you having a second thought about how you lived if so that's repentance and conviction working in your life and we can respond to that by being obedient God I'm going to respond today to that Lord if you'll help me I'm going to try to make an about face and start walking in a new direction you might have heard today that Cornelius a man that was even a good man still needed repentance, still needed baptism, still needed, if that's you today, that's okay we all started the same place we all were lost, we all were in sin, but Christ has provided a better way a more excellent way hallelujah hallelujah thank you for listening if you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.